0: Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast for November the 29th. It's great to have you in. We've got a lot of new listeners and subscribers to it. So please, thank you for doing that, and please spread that word. We start off talking about messaging, and uh, I thought pretty poor example of it from uh, the Associate Health Minister of the Canadian government, Carolyn Bennett. A 70-year-old woman is going to cancel a Christmas party. Is that news and is that guidance for the rest of us adults who are either younger or healthier or even those that are all fully vaccinated and older and want to spend time with family? Just a real rush to judgment on a lot of fronts from politicians, people in public health, people in the media. And we're not afraid to talk about it. So here is that conversation. Also, Dr. Srinivas Murthy will join us from British Columbia, and we'll get the latest from him on what he thinks we know, and more importantly, what we don't know yet about the new variant. So much on the show. Thank you very much for checking us out. Toronto Today begins now. It was a uh, it was a weekend, I'd say that, especially given the news of uh, Friday about this uh, story from South Africa. I think people may have uh, ping-ponged a little bit back and forth on their opinions about what we should do with borders, and we'll cover all of that in this particular hour. It's great to have you in. You can always text the show 289-975-1640. Dr. Srinivas Murthy, a little later on in the hour, uh, he's going to get up early, join us from British Columbia. We're going to talk about something um, not just sort of where we need to be, how patient we need to be through this. Um, We've got a lot on the line here and public perception is everything. I'm going to play you clips from um, the Associate Health Minister of Canada in a little bit. And uh, to me she sets the wrong tone, sends the wrong message. It's all wrong. I, you know, I I wish she'd, you know, retracted this stuff already, but maybe she was having a weekend, but I, I cannot understand. This is exactly what I want to expose and shine a light on and say, these are not the things we should be saying or doing right now. And, um, you're, you're a public official. None of this is personal. But Friday, um, you know, she she had some oopsies on uh, on live television, and we're going to play you those clips in a couple minutes from now. What I want to get with Dr. Murthy on as well is about how this has been a little bit of a reckoning. And Friday's news, if you were following the cycle, was about how we react in terms of keeping us safe here in Canada. I've said this before. You're allowed, allowed, at least a good part of you is to look out for number one. It's a global pandemic. Keep yourself safe. Keep your family safe. Do what you need to do. Don't apologize for that. And by the way, when you're fully vaccinated and you feel confident, go back out and do the things that you wanted to do. If someone on your street isn't ready, that's just the way it goes. They may not be ready for a couple of years. Should you wait for them or should they appreciate that you want to go back and do things? There's things that some of us are ready to do that some of us are not. And some of us can do that some of us cannot. But that was the case before the pandemic hit. Here is one aspect that is considerably concerning, and that's global vaccine distribution. And when we have Dr. Murthy on bottom of the hour, I think it's a worthy question to say, why has Canada fallen so short? And the bottom line is we have. There have been promises that we made involving getting vaccines to third world countries that we haven't delivered on. And I'm going to get into specifics about that in a little bit. But here's what I saw a lot in the coverage. First of all, I saw a lot of freaking out and panic and paranoia. It's like I saw a lot of people in the media acting like the little blonde girl in Poltergeist where, you know, the they're here and we don't know whether the there here should be ominous or whether it should be a shrug of the shoulders. 2 weeks from now we'll have a much much better answer. By the end of the week we'll have a reasonably better answer. But we're not going to know. We're not going to know all the things we need to know about this particular omicron variant. We're not going to. But what I also saw and I I I don't know what to say about it because it's not the most fixable solution. I don't I don't have the uh, wherewithal to fix it in the next 7 minutes. But I would say that the vaccines in Africa, the vaccines in poorer countries, there's a lot of layers to the conversation there. And this is what I saw. Why haven't we gotten more vaccines to South Africa? We should be vaccinating people in Africa and we should be getting them there. I'm not going to deny that that's true. We've fallen down and done a really poor job. But maybe you didn't know. And maybe it should be pushed up the news cycle that South Africa right now has too many vaccines. And the country of South Africa says, we've got way, way much too much stock. We've got way more, and they're doing two vaccines, by the way, Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson. But they're doing way, they have way too much stock. They asked them to throttle down, stop sending us vaccines. Their vaccination rate, 35%. So when you hear about bad outcomes in South Africa, you can understand why. We told you in the summer on this show, and I'm I can only speak for it. This show that Delta wasn't gonna hammer us relentlessly in August, September, and October. Why? We're fully we're a very fully vaccinated province with very fully vaccinated major cities. Toronto is getting closer to that ninety percent. The kids will push us there. Now, if you want to do what I do and say what happens when we get to ninety percent, that's a really fair question. We haven't heard. They won't say or they haven't said yet, but I'd love to know, like if your goal is to get to 90 percent, what happens when you reach that goal? So far, not very much seems to be changing. And that's the frustration for people who got vaccinated early days and were told, well, your life will change. Well, some of it has and some of it hasn't. But in South Africa, it's a different story. And that number is much higher than in most African nations. So what do we do? This isn't just all about access. You can only, and this isn't about mandates. Do you think in South Africa a mandate to get on public transit would fly? Do you think in Namibia or Kenya or Algeria? Um, I've written, I took a couple courses on African politics. It is not the easiest thing to gain compliance in any context, okay? To play along with government. Government guidelines, if you will. Scott Gottlieb's on the Dr. Scott Gottlieb's on the board of Pfizer, so he has a he has a vested interest in Pfizer, but he always discloses that. But he makes the point yesterday that yeah, they're telling us to take the vaccines back. They have too many. People just won't take them.
1: Well, look, I, I could tell you that five of the eight countries that now fell under this travel ban imposed by the Biden administration have told Pfizer um, to either slow down or stop shipping vaccines because they haven't been able to distribute what they've received. That represents about 95 percent of the population that now falls under these travel bans in in Africa. It's uh, South Africa, Zimbabwe, uh, Namib- Namibia. Mozambique and Malawi. And I can also tell you that with respect to South Africa, South Africa has also told J&J and Pfizer, the two companies that are distributing vaccine there, to also throttle shipments or stop shipments because they have an excess of vaccine. Mm-hmm. They now have 16 million doses in that country that they haven't been able to distribute in a population of 60 million people. Of the 19 million okay. doses that Pfizer has sent, of the 30 million doses Pfizer has sent to South Africa, only 19 have been used to date.
0: Yeah, South Africa's at 35 percent fully vaccinated. Zimbabwe slightly more vaccinated. Rwanda has had a great uptake for some reason, and the countries that kind of border on the northern area there—Morocco, Tunisia—they're um, in great shape. But countries like Namibia are not. Countries like Togo are not. Countries like Gabon are not. So it's a massive, massive problem. And remember, some of it is government structure. Some of it is. Some of it is is the uh, you know is the daily roadblocks and blockades that crop up to prevent vaccine distribution i read a book once on live aid kind of obsessed with live aid right the big concert and when they tried to get the, the actual food and supplies and even money to buy food and supplies to you know to stop people from starving that was really difficult a lot of the things couldn't get there why intercepted by government government corruption In some cases, rebel corruption. Okay, there's there's you've noticed the politics in Africa. There's a coup once in a while. I don't know if you know that or not. There isn't. Well, we had an attempted coup in America on January 6th, but it happens a little more frequently and with more regularity in the last 30 years in Africa. So it's a problem. I don't know the solution, but this isn't just all about, oh, my God, we've got to get vaccines to all these people. Yeah, that'd be ideal. That'd be ideal to be able to do that. But we've got U.S. states that aren't even at 50 percent and they can walk into any pharmacy with any level of convenience and uh, and take the vaccine. And they're not. So ask a family in Mozambique to do it. Ask a family in Angola to do it. Some want it. I'll give you that. Some absolutely want it and especially couldn't get it in the early days. Um, And some may say, well, I've already had covid. Why would I get a vaccine? If you think if those conversations are happening in North America, trust me. They're happening in Africa. Let me shift to this. And uh, Carolyn Bennett is the uh, was the Minister of Indigenous and Northern Affairs, quite famously earlier this year. uh, So she's finishing the year with a bang. She was forced to apologize to Jody Wilson-Raybould for a response to a tweet by Wilson-Raybould about Justin Trudeau and the response to hundreds of unmarked graves. Bennett sent uh, uh, a texted Wilson-Raybould the single world message the single world mess world message pension question mark wilson Raybould called it racist and misogynistic and many people agreed carolyn bennett is now uh, and i'll say this she does have a medical degree she was a family doctor for 20 years she's qualified to talk about health but i'm not sure this is the best messaging to send out there friday night she went on cbc Katie Simpson asked her about the new variant, and she said just based on information of which there was very little, very little. She decided that she would cancel a Christmas party that she'd been planning and decided that on, well, the scant amount of information. So when it comes to public health, this messaging to me is kind of dangerous. Here's what she said.
2: That I've canceled my Christmas party. I I wasn't comfortable having that many people in my house uh, for um, in in that kind of time where people maybe don't wear their masks or aren't are are being too close together. So I, I do think that Canadians need to continue to be vigilant, and I think some of us. Um, have felt all along that, that we we can't let down our guard that uh, this this virus is is very um, um, crafty and always finding times to ways to to actually affect um, um, the
0: social di- disruption. Okay, that's rather disastrous messaging to me. And it's a 70-year-old woman, you know, rather, rather sedentary. People get into their 70s and they don't quite move around like people in the 30s and 40s. And she decides to cancel a large Christmas gathering. Yeah, I get that. That should have no influence on anyone who isn't 70. We know not all adults are built to handle COVID risk equally. If only public health had told us that from the beginning. But they didn't bother and they just said, hey, what's good for everybody is good for everybody and this and that. For the record, my mom is 76. She's a 45 year smoker. She quit in the 90s. She's cautious about COVID. Uh, She wouldn't have a massive Christmas party on her own, but that doesn't mean she doesn't think people in their 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s who are fully vaccinated should do the same. She's not going on TV telling millions of people younger and in better health not to gather for Christmas. Also, let me point out the hypocrisy here. Carolyn Bennett has been in three different areas of Canada in the last two weeks, flying on airplanes, Ottawa, Nova Scotia and Northwest Territories. She's a Toronto MP. Maybe there's been a flight from Toronto to Ottawa. I don't know if she thinks and she shouldn't flying around she has a medical degree. If she thinks flying around the country is safer than a small Christmas gathering with fully vaxxed people, we got a problem. We got a big problem in terms of that messaging. It's great to have our next guest on getting up super early from British Columbia for us uh, an infectious diseases specialist, critical care as well. He is Dr. Srinivas Murthy. It's great to have you on. Uh, We talked maybe five, six months ago, uh, but really timely to have you now. So the new variant, we're talking about it. We're trying to weigh in on exactly where we should be. But Dr. Murthy, this this is right now way more about what we don't know than what we do know, isn't it?
3: Yeah, so like the first point is that we really don't know much at all. Um, We don't know about this variant, Omicron's severity of disease. We don't know anything about its transmissibility of disease. Um, We don't know what it does with vaccines. We don't know what it does with treatments. Um, We know that the variant is there. It's circulating in parts of the world, it's in the United Kingdom, it's in Israel, and just today, or Sunday, two cases identified in the Ottawa region. All of that is completely unsurprising based on how we know um, COVID-19 transmits and the way our world is interconnected. So after these first few days, what I know is a new variant is out there. It may be more transmissible, it may not be. It may be more severe than Delta. It may not be. Um, we need to sort of be patient and acknowledge that the scientists around the world, and especially the scientists in South Africa, are working their tails off to help answer those questions.
0: A lot of epidemiologists like to use, and and, and it seems like they've they've got it right in doing it so far um, in almost two full years of this, using about a two or three week span. We do that to see if cases will couple with hospitalizations and ICUs. They were consistently doing that um in the summer of 2020 and into the fall of 2020 and then we got vaccines and in the highly vaccinated areas um that stopped which was great that was great news even with the delta variant are we looking in your mind dr murthy at about a, a two or three week window to really have a much better we're not going to know twos tomorrow or thursday of this week we got to wait this out two or three weeks
3: Yeah, every day we'll get more information in the next little while. The first case was identified a couple of weeks ago. If you go back and look at the actual time that that patient had the case, um, it was likely November, mid-November sometime in Botswana. Um, Obviously, it may have been circulating for quite some time before that. Um, Remember, the cases in South Africa were identified in South Africa. But there have been travelers in Belgium who don't have any links to Africa, there have been travelers in Ottawa who have a West African link. And so it's likely been circulating around the world for quite some time, and it's only due to the credits of the South African scientists who said, wait a second, this is out there. Um, You guys should look for it out there in the world. And so hopefully Canadian labs are working their tails off also to sequence all of the COVID that's in our communities to make sure it's not this.
0: Dr. Trinovus Murthy is our guest, uh, an infectious diseases specialist, critical care as well. Joining us from Vancouver on Toronto Today on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Uh, We'd have guests on from time to time and they'd say, well, there certainly is going to be a new variant. This is it's not a question of uh, if it's more a question of when. And it's not what people want to hear. But guess what? Um, The virus doesn't care what we want to hear. It really it really doesn't. That's if it's proven one thing, it's proven that. Were you pretty certain that with the lack, especially huge pockets of the globe, um, don't have close to the vaccination rate that we do in North America, even that the United States does with all the resistance? Did you were you assuming that a day like this, a conversation like this was bound to crop up in the next several months?
3: Yeah, of course. I think this virus is a very robust one, and its, ab- it's ability to constantly evade our best strategies. And so the fact that in November 2021, 22 months after we first identified it, another variant pops up, not surprising at all. Um, it's really a matter of like whether we can contain it appropriately and getting the things we have, vaccines and public health measures to the places that this virus is circulating, and ideally prevent it from popping up. Um, meaning that getting vaccines to everyone in the world who needs one because I think that's where the problems over the past twenty two months have really um, revealed themselves
0: i i hope um I hope that's true and and I hope this is the wake-up call. I hope this is the wake-up call um certainly in your line of work, people like yourself have been saying it some of the smart people we put on have been saying it for ages that that it needs to be happened there needs to be more of an equitable distribution are are you hopeful hopeful we can, uh, Get past ourselves in a way. Canada, to be perfectly honest, as much as we've done a good job in terms of acquisition and procurement, we know we haven't had any place in Canada to develop and manufacture the vaccines, um, but we've spread them far and wide in our country. But to be honest, the, the stats show that Canada's really fallen down and we've not maintained even some commitments that we said we would keep um, to get vaccines to countries that need it more than we do.
3: Yeah, no, Canada is probably on the list of countries that have done the worst at vaccine sharing and global vaccine access. Canada's at the very top of that list, which is unfortunate because I don't think that's what Canadians really know and really want in terms of their perception in the world. Um, and so can we do better without a doubt? And so I think in terms of the hopefulness that was a bit saddened over the past few days that our first reaction in Canada was not, OK, there's a problem over there. Let's get resources, let's get treatments, let's get vaccines to the places that need it. But our first reaction was lock down borders, stop flights and prevent what's over there from coming over here. When we know that that's never worked over the past 22 months of this pandemic um, and it's not going to work this time, as those cases in Ottawa have already revealed.
0: What do you see in South Africa? The, the, now, South Africa is not representative of all African countries, but the, the numbers I was digging at. Have South Africa fully vaccinated to the rate of about 35 percent? Their government wanted 70 by the end of the calendar year. Maybe this speeds it up uh, and and uh, and accelerates it somewhat, but it's not where it needs to be. But the, but many other African countries are a far cry from even 35 percent. In your mind, how much of that is is distribution getting them getting the vaccines to the people properly, and how much of it is a, a real
3: hesitancy or lack of infrastructure on government to to know how to do this? Like obviously it's going to be both, but if you look at the South African situation, which is a great example, like over the past 12 months, it's been a slow trickle of vaccines based on whatever they can get. And then only over the past month or so has there been a surge of vaccines, many of which close to their expiration dates, many of which um, can't be moved from the ports to the clinics as fast as they need to have. And so it's been a challenge for them to roll out a vaccination program when their supplies have been unpredictable and their supplies quite frankly have been usurped by countries like Canada and the United States, especially at those early phases of this year. And so is it a combination of both hesitancy and supply of course, but it's always going to be the supply chain issues, particularly in parts of Africa that aren't South Africa that don't have any vaccines um, and are still in the less than 10% of their population having any even first dose of vaccine. Mm.
0: Dr. Srinivas Murthy, our guest on Global News Radio 640, you mentioned the reaction that you had towards a lot of the border discussions, which I absolutely, they're silly. Uh, I think we're seeing really draconian measures taking place right now in Switzerland, uh, in in Israel, that make no sense to me when we don't know if this variant eludes the vaccines in the least, or as you documented, um, are is it even that much more transmissible than Delta? But I, I looked in and what I saw, and again, the best thing uh, you, you probably know this better than me, best thing to do sometimes log off, go for a walk. <laughs> I mean, just get away from it. Because what I saw on Friday, Dr. Murthy was, was just the people on the extremes, the people that were panicked, greatly concerned, canceling Christmas parties, uh, you know, getting ready to to hide out again and pretend that it was April, 2020. And then I thought, I saw a lot of people going, shrugging their shoulders going, well, um, some people have been wrong before, so they might be. And I just want to play this up the middle. I want to keep observant and vigilant and follow it every day and keep a very close eye on what's happening here. And uh, and that way we know it, it could be nothing. It could really be something. But we're, we're really we feel really split on this, not just as a as a society, but certainly in Canada. We, we feel really split on how we're taking this news.
3: Yeah, of course. And I think like all things COVID, things have been polarized and these conversations become very, very challenging. And I think that precautionary principle of, okay, we have something new. We want to apply caution and make sure our policies are even handed and equity focused, but still protecting everyone in Canada. And we can do that without say blanket travel bans of anyone of South African descent. Um, we can do that by testing at the border. We can do that by stepping up our surveillance within Canadian countries um, context we can do that by sequencing more virus within canada we can do that with our usual stuff that we're doing right now with mask wearing and vaccine mandates and ventilation in schools all the things that we've been doing we can just do them well now and while we wait for that more information to emerge over the coming weeks as to what this omicron can actually do in this context
0: it's a. Uh, but it, uh, you say all that i hear you loud and clear it's a tough sell for 10 out of 10 people isn't it because they're fatigued yeah. they they felt like they were walking into the light like we mentioned we've got you know kids and vaccines it'll turn around to to spring weather will get good again in a few months it's just starting um you know uh, to get into december now um but when people are fried um they're they're not thinking straight they're not hearing your words how hard a sell will that be for public health for for politicians cuz um you know at, at a certain point we've all been led astray probably once or twice. We've all gotten something wrong once or twice. So it's hard to keep believing. It's hard to keep faith, isn't it?
3: yeah and i think probably some of the things that i'm saying right now will be proven to be wrong and i think in a sort of a public communications perspective we need to be transparent as to what we know and bring the public along with us as to say okay this is what we're learning today this is what we're learning the next day so it's always a measured calm response to something even though it might be a very severe issue that we need to focus upon Um, but bringing people along and not yelling when we don't need to yell but yelling when we do need to yell.
0: I love that. I love that sentiment. Don't yell when you don't need to yell. Yell when you need to yell, but don't yell when you don't need to yell. Um, We're trying not to be yelly about anything. That's an actual, that's an adjective. Dr. uh, Sfinnivis Murphy, our guest, uh, it's great to have him on. It's a great story in the Star, um, but it's not great because of the, it's great for the message and we need to shine the spotlight here, uh, but it's not great in terms of, this is something we knew about prior to COVID. It's COVID's only made it worse, and we got to turn the tide on this. It's about the well, the healthcare system in general uh, being uh, you know just underfunded and underappreciated and underserved, and the doctors, the nurses, the support staff that have to work there. Um, we're finally listening to their voices, but post COVID becoming endemic, we better keep listening. And this goes a long way to doing that. I want to bring on uh, a- Amy Archibald Varley, a registered Ontario nurse. It's great to have you on. Thank you very much for making the time for me. Thank you for having me. This is uh this is such an emotional uh issue for me because I look and I go when we talk about the pandemic, uh I think well a lot of it's about preservation preserving our healthcare system. Tell me I'm wrong. We should have cared a lot more about this before COVID and and we were turning blind eyes to it. Didn't didn't we?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, nursing is feeling really undervalued, underheard. and, you know, talking about a potential of a fifth wave, like I think that's so scary, you know. We had the first wave of the PPE, the masking crisis, the devastation of deaths in long-term care of the second wave, the preventable third wave, and the fourth wave of mainly seeing unvaccinated patients in the ICU. And now they're thinking of a fifth wave. It seems that fifth wave for nursing may be the wave of the masking nursing exodus.
0: People have pointed towards obviously, um it's hard to make anything unpol or apolitical, but people pointed towards the Ford government and they you know, when they got elected with a majority, people looked and said, There's gonna be cuts to education, there's gonna be cuts to health care. But I would ask you if for the previous, you know, fifteen years of the liberals being in power, um, were there are sort of snip snips here, there and everywhere when it came to health care and and everything you needed to do your job as best.
4: Yeah, absolutely. There's been snips throughout the last 15 years towards healthcare and it's actually quite unconscionable i don't understand how we have a system in which we we have a publicly funded healthcare system but as time goes on and time continues to progress it's becoming more and more privatized and people really need to start paying attention to this because you know we say that we have such a great healthcare system we say that our our system is much better than the state but we're walking right towards that direction right now, where we're looking at privatized healthcare, privatized medicine. That's kind of what's happening in the the Ford government right now.
0: Well, I'm I'm um, not expert in healthcare, but I lived in the states for ten years, had our first son was born there, so I watch that system. Here's what I would say. I. Do you think there's an element to a two tier system that can work, Amy? But but you can't you can't let the bottom fall out. The bottom obviously drops out to nothing in the United States, and that's no good to me. You should never have to pay to get yourself well. You should never have to pay for anything for your kid up until age 18. But here's what I'd say: I don't have a problem with somebody over a certain economic threshold paying for a surgery or paying a copay as it were for a surgery or an MRI or testing. But I, but I don't, I, I don't know the exact methodology to make that work. What I know is right now, our system isn't working.
4: Yeah. But I think the other piece that we also have to look at is health equity yeah. right now. We're seeing so much health and equity with it, with COVID COVID has really pulled back the veil on seeing how, how many other people, how many people that are racialized are really affected by healthcare And I think that, you know, moving to a two-tier system can be quite dangerous for racialized people, for women. And I think that we need to be very cognizant of that fact. And I think that, you know, as much as we can look and say, you know, we we could do better, there's so much more better that we can do, but we need to listen to the voices that are out there. We need to listen to nurses and physicians. We need to listen to epidemiologists Mm -hmm. and other people who understand fundamentally what's happening in our healthcare system. My biggest fear of a two-tier system is seeing poor healthcare outcomes for black racialized indigenous people. I think that would be the the biggest concern
0: I would have. A-, a thousand percent there has to be a safety net and i don't know a big safety net and i don't know quite how to utilize that and it's the same look everywhere you go some people um it it's a little bit like the uh the old uh, idea that well you can't f- find a police officer when you need one and then when you don't there's nine around and and it uh, it doesn't matter but there's i've got friends in the uk who you know bragged about their healthcare system three years ago covid comes they're like oh it's not as hot as we we thought with the nhs it's not as hot as we thought it was so The one thing I'd say is living in the States, having a job with benefits, you got very, very good health care. But we got to find a way that if you don't have a good job with good benefits, you still get a a very good standard of care. It may not be what the other standard is, but we've got to find a way. There has to be a safety net. And I don't know how to make that system work.
4: Well right now that's that's actually a part of the problems that we're having here many nurses are actually part-time workers and they aren't they do not get paid sick days mm-hmm. we lobbied the government to get paid sick days and this has been the 26th time that the government has said no to paid sick days and we know that paid sick days will help people who are in this crisis who that'll help nurses that are working tirelessly every single day in this crisis to look after your patients to look after patients and your family members. I think people don't understand when we talk about hallway medicine, when we talk about staffing ratios, when we talk about working short every day, it is soul sucking. It is, it is literally killing nurses to go in every day to know that, you know, I am not going to be able to give that hundred percent patient care that I was taught in school that I should be able to give. It is hard going in on a shift knowing that you can't give your 110% because you know, you have six nurses who aren't working with you today because either they're burnt out, they're sick, they're on mental health leave, or the fact that they are just leaving the profession. Like that's the biggest part. Like just yesterday, we've already re- I've received two text messages that you know one person said that you know I hope that people have a better understanding with a Toronto Star article that came out for to have public outrage for nurses. She said she's already seeking a new career path and leaving yeah. healthcare to find another job. And there, another nurse yesterday from that has worked for twenty years says so she loves her job but has quit two weeks ago because she just can't do it anymore. People have to understand with nurses leaving, it is going to cripple the healthcare system. I'm
0: I'm so listen, right. I, I'm gonna keep amplifying these stories. Let me ask you this as we go, and I definitely want to have another conversation, uh, multiple ones, because these are important and, and, and you bring it so brilliantly. But let me ask you, do you worry about A 16 year old, an 18 year old that's thinking about going to nursing. They're watching this right now. That's my big fear with politics As we watch politics and how, oh, my God, it it fries your brain out. And you think we're not going to get the best people like we used to. We're not going to get ambitious people with great ideas. Do you worry we won't get great nurses 10 years from now entering the industry, let alone staying in it?
4: You know, I I do worry, but I think there's a silver lining in this. I think people are seeing the courage, the strength, the grit, the resiliency of nursing and other other health professionals in this, and they're seeing that there is value in it. And I really want to encourage people, if this is something that you're truly passionate about and that you truly care for patients, for to see better health care outcomes for all, it is definitely something that you can get into. And I think that, you know, as we get louder, as, you know, Uh, Media encourages more nurses' voices to to, to be listened to. I think that we can really have a movement here because I think that this profession is rewarding. And I think that, you know... Sixteen-year-olds, eighteen-year-olds who want to be a part of this, they can be a part of a greater healthcare movement because nurses are actually inherently advocates, and we need to advocate for better healthcare standards mm. for all people in Canada.
0: She is Amy Archibald Varley. Uh, she has a podcast, by the way, called The Gritty Nurse. Uh, that's not an ABC drama on uh, right after Chicago Hope. It's not right. It's a. <laughs> no. I'm no. making sure. Okay, I see. I've, I've, I'm getting conflicting reports. I'm the media. They want we want to get this right for once uh, in our lifetime. Thank you very yes. much for coming on. I hope Thank you'll do you. it again. Thank you. You bet. And I want to react more about uh, the Dr. Fauci interview he had on uh, yesterday. This is just this is just brass tacks, and we got to get better at this. We got to get better at this in our conversations. I know we in the media business have to get better at this. Um, he He's presenting himself as very, yesterday he did an interview on uh, Face the Nation that basically said, well, if you disagree with me, you disagree with science. And that sounded a little to me like like the you're either with the troops or you're against the troops when when George W. Bush invaded Iraq. Not so much. I don't want harm to come to the troops, but we can debate the reasons for going, the uh, potential for um, a, a bad outcome in going there, and, and the reasons why we went there. No one man or woman can present themselves as the embodiment of science, and his role is about policy. And there's so much implicated in that policy. Economics are affected by his recommendations, psychology, um, ethics. That's all. He's not an expert in those fields, not in the least. And many politicians aren't either. This is an an immunologist and he has to make recommendations. Absolutely. That's the job. But to think that it's impaired, you know, that that he can't be criticized or you're criticizing science itself. No, that was wrong. And I hear people say, but come on, Ted Cruz. I'm like, I know who and what Ted Cruz is, but we got to walk and chew gum at the same time, plain and simple. Our next guest uh, wrote a book um, about these kind of very subjects, trusting the news in a digital age toward a new news literacy. You can find it on Amazon right now. He is Jeffrey Dvorkin. Jeffrey, it's great to have you on again. Thanks for making the time for me. My pleasure, Greg. You probably watched a ton of uh, of coverage, and Friday especially. I think we were starting to feel like we were, you know, walking into quicksand a little bit with some of the uh, some of the urgency um, that that people declared things in the media um, with with very little knowledge about this virus. Absolutely, it's. Uh, I, I had a sense
5: that the media sort of was loving the story because it kind of fed into this whole idea about we're all doomed. And even the name Omicron sounds ominous. <laughs> and it just struck me that uh, a lot of the coverage was running away with the story without a, any knowledge or background or understanding of what is going on. I'm not trying to minimize it. It's, it mm-hmm. obviously is serious, and and it's a, it's a variant of a variant, and we don't know... We know, we know less about this than ever before. But the thing of it is, to me, is that the media loves to over-dramatize sometimes. And frankly, you know, I'm nervous too. We're all nervous. But let's, you know, our job in, the, in journalism is to provide some kind of context. So I started looking around, and sure enough, there were indications from doctors in South Africa uh, reports on the Associated Press that even if one con- gets in touch with this this variant, the consequences so far are not very serious. And a family in South Africa, the whole family tested positive, no symptoms. In a few days, the symptoms were gone, or or they tested negative. There it. At this point, and I'm not saying this is the way it's going to be,
3: but mm-hmm.
5: we're not reporting the whole context of what, what is going on. Instead, we're panicking crazily. The markets are tanking. Uh, journalism kind of loves this story because they can run around saying we're all doomed. Um, and there are no con- no immediate consequences to the people who are doing the reporting. But there are a lot of consequences... For everybody else. And I think that that became my worry is that we were reporting. There, there, there was a consequence-free element to reporting this story in the way that we've seen it. I think today things have calmed down a little bit. Yes. What I've seen overnight, uh, which is a good thing. But now we need to get back into the, the real reporting of this story, not just the emotional grabbing of the audience which is what journalism, unfortunately, has a tendency to do.
0: I realize it's there. And I, I remember going to journalism school after I did my um, my poli sci undergrad. And, and I heard that phrase for the very first time, Jeffrey, if it bleeds, it leads. And I could never remember from my program coordinator whether he supported that principle or whether that was a lament about our industry. But when it comes to covid that's just it. And you can imagine we debate every day, every day, too much covid, not enough covid, because I guess what? I think with the media all missed the initial story in February and March of 2020 and we undersold it. But now I worry there's fear and panic and overselling a danger that may not be a danger.
5: Well, you know, I don't I don't want to be Pollyannish about it, you know, but I, I, what we can report is that here's what we know so far. And the idea that there are two cases in Ottawa, suddenly it's here, it's taking over, it's, it's, it's the revenge, it's the monster in the Black Lagoon. You know, we have to kind of calm down after uh, the Parti Québécois got elected in Quebec in uh, 1976 Aislin, the great cartoonist from the Montreal Star had a picture of a cartoon of René Lévesque looking at the the reader in the in the Gazette saying okay everybody take a valium and I think that <laughs> I think we I think we need to kind of just relax a little bit and figure out what's best for us
0: Is Jeffrey Dvorkins uh, joining us on Global News Radio 640 Toronto on Toronto Today, given that there's no evidence like I'm just boy, you know, call me crazy. I'm a big I took a couple law courses, but big believer in things like evidence and due process. And yeah, I. I know my job ends up being a bit easier than someone that's that's putting together a television newscast or or putting a headline in a newspaper because I can provide context and I have the time and where I can talk to smart people like you and do that. But when there's no evidence, no evidence to say this is going to set us back, let alone to square one, we've got tests that will detect this. We've got therapies. We've got vaccines. We've got a ton of stuff we didn't have in March 2020. Yet I heard people telling me on Friday afternoon specifically This feels like March 2020. We fell down somewhere if that's the case. We did.
5: Exactly. And I think that now we're older, we're smarter, we're wiser, hopefully. And we can look at this story and say, okay, what are the consequences? Who should we be interviewing about this? Mm -hmm. Who is benefiting from telling this story in the way that we've been telling it so far? I'm not going to – I don't want to be one of these conspiracy theorists, but I'd like to know – why the WHO was so quick to announce this, and what and when the when the stock market tanked on Friday, dropped yeah. almost a thousand points. Somebody must somebody must have benefited from that, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name names because I don't know. <laughs> but it, it I we've lived through a lot the last couple of years, all of us, and we need to kind of be clear in our understanding about what's going on. Who's who is who's pushing this information out and why? And I think that's that's the other question. Maybe this is a magazine article that'll come out in about a month or so, or something on PBS Frontline next week because they're really good at at uh, digging into these sorts of things. But I think uh, inquiring minds want to know, as the saying goes.
0: Jeffrey Dvorkin, our guest. Um, it, it's the media messaging is also. It's really interesting because people would say to me early days on this pre-vaccine, well, you know, there's some people that are having a good time during this. Well, you know, there's some people that probably don't want this to end. And I thought about that and I'm like, well, that seems really, um, you know, that that seems terrible um, to, to think that that would be the case. but. When I see some of the messaging, um, I, I, you know, there's a lot of well-off, um, I guess we'd call them urban professionals who've been at home for the last 20 months, 21 months or so, Jeffrey saying, and and they're, you know, quote unquote, hiding from a virus that many look and go, well, if you're fully vaccinated and you're healthy, it's not terribly a danger to you. But they like how this has changed their lives. They haven't lost a penny and they're at home and they're saving money on a ton of things from their commute and their office life um i worry about that workplaces probably want to get people back even if it's a hybrid model they want to at least have that so there's a bit of a bit of class warfare happening here the people in essential roles they can't do that they're they're out there and they're working for us
5: right and i think that we're finding that there are going to be new ways of working um things will not we will not go back to the way it was Mm -hmm. um but we have to figure out what's the best way of, of, of moving forward. Whether it's teaching, are we going to have this kind of hybrid situation? I know that my colleagues at the University of Toronto are a little bit nervous about the idea of, in the new year, going back to face-to-face teaching. Um, they're worried. And nobody knows. I think I think the lack of knowledge is really making people crazy. And we need to kind of figure out a better way that journalism can help people understand exactly what's going on. And over the last uh, 72 hours, that hasn't been happening.
0: No, you, you nailed it. His book, Trusting the News in a Digital Age uh, Towards a New News Literacy. You're helping us do that uh, with, with that kind of conversation we just had. Jeffrey Dvorkin, our guest, look for his book on Amazon. Thanks. Let's do this more often. It's, a, it's valuable messaging, I think, for our listeners, and I appreciate our chat.
5: Anytime, Greg. Thanks.
0: You got it. You may wonder about Black Friday, too. We haven't been on the air since Black Friday because our last show was Friday morning. And a a holiday shopping report uh, suggests that online shoppers spent eight point nine billion dollars this year. And they're like, oh, Black Friday. It's not what it used to be. Let me tell you why that's a really good number. To me, it decreased for the very first time. So it it was like uptick, uptick, uptick um, and a slight decrease. I I think two reasons. One, Black Friday sales start like around Halloween. It's like playing Christmas music on the radio. You're killing us by doing it weeks and months earlier. So the sales don't just start on Friday. So a lot of the spending was done earlier. Why do I also think that? Because this this supply chain thing becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're telling people, oh my gosh, we don't know if you can get the goods that you need for your Christmas presents or for this or for that. So people order earlier. Most people are smarter than me and they get stuff done ahead of time. They're not procrastinators. So I think the numbers are actually really good as opposed to people going, oh, Black Friday. What a, you know, that, that didn't go as well as retailers thought. I think it went great. I was there. I, I went to Best Buy Saturday with my kid. Packed. Packed. Uh, Dr. Eric Ham joins me now. It's great to have you on. Do I have that right on uh, on Black Friday? Start earlier shopping and people worried about the supply chain means people aren't taking any chances getting their Christmas presents. And so they're ordering them earlier.
1: Well, that's true. I mean, what they, when you look at consumption data over any given year, it tends to be rather smooth. So really what you've done is you've taken Black Friday and it's become the new Boxing Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also it obviously happens earlier in the year than Boxing Day. But if you look at, at the statistics once a year is over, you'll see that people probably are going to spend around the same. It's just now you've created a brand new one or two big days. You know, your Cyber Monday and your Black Friday and I broke my ankle Thursday or whatever. You give people more reason to go out and spend. But it's a funny thing. If you look at, at the consumption statistics, People are going to spend what people are going to spend because they only have so much income.
0: But they've also been potentially been sitting on that income for large chunks of time. And they were sitting on it last year. But, A, you could do a lot less last year at this time. You weren't people weren't booking plane tickets. People weren't, um, you know, going on uh, on outings. People weren't crossing the border. So the potential's there to spend much more, maybe not in terms not just in terms of material goods, but the travel aspect. And when you travel, you spend. Well, this
1: goes back to your are we in this together? I mean, a lot of people have been sitting on a lot of money, but you're taking a subsample of the population that probably would have had that money anyway. If you're one of the people that's been adversely affected by CERB, you're not sitting on mm-hmm. so much money. So you really have to kind of bifurcate the society into those that have and those that haven't. And by the way, since we're talking about bifurcating society, two things, first of all, I've never made a secret of the fact that I'm Jewish, so we should wish Happy Hanukkah to all of our Jewish listeners. Yes. And I think this morning I really want to say good morning to all my Sri Lankan friends. (laughs) And since we're on the topic of butchering names, I want to tell you why I'm still in very intensive therapy. When I went to grade seven in 1979 at Don Valley Middle School, my parents had given me a very distinctive name. My first name is Avram, named after my great grandfather, because we name after people who've passed. And my middle name, is Eric. So it's Avram Eric, but I go by Eric. But somebody in the office at Don Valley Middle School who never ever wanted me to have a date for the rest of my life forgot to leave. Or the they just or they just between, assumed.
0: I mean they could in have in between just the assumed.
1: M and the E. So Greg Brady, for the rest of my life, to anybody with whom I went to junior high, I am still a rumoric. And now you may say, "Oh, that's funny, of rumoric." But let me tell you, when you're in grade 7 and grade 8 and you're trying to be noticed by the girls, not exactly a great selling point.
0: That's not great. There was a uh, Chelsea uh Chelsea manager named Avram Grant, but you might not know that. Or do, do do there's a famous Avram for you who managed Chelsea for like like a hot minute, like after Jose Mourinho in one of his four Chelsea runs.
1: No, thanks to you I've actually turned on to soccer you've turned me Good. on to the to the beautiful game and I've learned a little <laughs> bit now I know there's I could re, I could list you off a bunch of famous Avrams but I don't know a lot of Rumerics, and I especially don't know a lot of them who are trying to make a name for himself at four foot
0: 11 in junior high. can I go short is avi short for Avram?
1: Avi is short for Avram. I again, many there are many Avis, and I've had cousins that are Avi. It's a weird thing in the Jewish community because you're named after people that have passed, and so what happens is you tend to find some icon in your family, like my great grandfather, who was one of the people that that believe it or not brought socialism and communism to Ontario. Thank God, um, uh, someone ended so it. Yeah, let's yeah. not talk about it. He'd be real proud of me today, Roy. Roy, uh, but, yeah, Roy uh,
0: Green just had a heart attack listening to that, but okay. You know, yeah, Roy Green's not up
1: yet, thank God. But <laughs> he is, up. is. Is you get many people <laughs> named after the same person. So in my family, there's Avies and Avrams, and so there's a lot of them. But again, just for the record, one of Rumerick.
0: Thank you for that. It's a, it's a, it's an aside, but it's one I really enjoy. But no doubt, it was an aside. That's an aside if there ever was one.
1: talking about having Canadian names, and I, that's why my parents gave me Eric. My father thought I would be teased in school, being Avram, and the reality is, trust me, Avram wouldn't have had one tenth the teasing that of Eric got.
0: No, probably not. Dr. Uh, Avram, excuse me, Dr. Eric Ham, joining us on uh, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. So I, I'll ask you, big picture, what do you make of the... Uh, the 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 new variant the coverage of it and the concern of it i worry that you know I don't want to see mass panic. I don't think there's anything to panic about, but I know people, you know, people, you know, uh, university professors that are preferring to stay at home and wander around in their bathrobe and the sheltered class, Dr. Cam, the privileged um, and they uh, this virus hysteria has helped them seed themselves into their own their own home, into their own routine. Um, I'm not telling you they're thrilled, but they're not devastated that something might delay their inevitable return to join the rest of us. Not devastated. Um, I don't want to (laughs) give away the names of the email writers
1: over the weekend, but I think you would be shocked to see some of the emails flying around about people cheering for this latest variant as a method or a motivation to keep us home next semester In in the education field. In the education, I don't want to make a general statement, but um, a lot of people are thinking now that um, things are starting to rise again, numbers are going up for any reason. You have the cheerleaders in the background saying, well, here's justification to put back on the slippers and get behind the microphone and Zoom. But to your question... I mean, I don't know. I'm not panicked. I I think I I had the, the, the benefit on Friday of taking my seven and a half year old to get vaccinated. Good. And I saw lots of children there and lots of parents. And when you strike up conversation, I was encouraged by the parents at the vaccination clinic were not really scared and they were thinking you know what we're going to ride this out we we know this now we have information we didn't have before we have trends we didn't have before we have vaccines we didn't have before and that things are going to go up and things are going to go down but we can't be a slave to every time the numbers start to rise so i hope i hope that that is a microcosm of the population i fear that it's not. I fear that there's a lot of bad information. I, I think there's a lot of um, nerve pandering among the population. And I, I, I hate to bring up the media, but if you watch some of the more United States right-wing outlets, They're predicting the end of the world yet again. And I think, unfortunately, too many people watch these things and they're not discriminating and they think, oh, God, here we go again. And it may even be worse. But if you're asking me, am I concerned and do I think that society should be concerned? No, because there's an expression in economics, ceteris paribus, all things remaining equal, but nothing has remained equal. We are not where we were a year ago in terms of anything. So I I really hope. I hope that the people that I saw at the vaccination clinic are 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 a representation of society where they say we've got to do this. We've got to stay vigilant. We've got to stay safe. But we cannot panic and think we are where we were a year
0: ago. I look I I, yeah, and I don't blame you for saying, um, you know, there look, there are bad actors in every industry. You're just documenting it in the education industry. There are bad actors in the media industry. There are, you know, and, and in politics. Hey, I'm profoundly disappointed that the vaccines aren't going to eradicate COVID. I'm it's too bad. It's not going to happen. But I'm also comfortable with the fact that it's not going to happen. And I'm not uncomfortable or uncertain about where we go. And you're right. You know who's not terrified right now, whether somebody leads with it or not? the average human being, blue collar workers, most of them have been infected already, and they're not terrified. They dealt with it. They got vaccinated. um, They they've moved on. And people who drive buses and cops and grocery clerks and nurses, they're not terrified. They might be exhausted, but they're not terrified, Eric.
1: I think what people are doing is they're starting to, in a sense, classify COVID-19 used to be like a mystical thing hanging over our heads. And I think what a lot of people are doing inside and outside of a lot of sectors university included is people are saying okay you know what this is kind of a new flu and we're never going to get rid of the flu but we're going to control the flu we're going to take our vaccinations and we're going to be smart and I, and that's what i really hope is happening is that we're demarcating it as nothing special in the world but just one more thing one more thing that's going to exist in society that is a a, a danger but you've got to put small D danger in that if we are smart and we are reactionary, then we have a very good chance of never even knowing it existed.
0: All we're trying to do is prevent bad outcomes. We're, we, we can't prevent po- positive cases and we can't prevent transmission. But is, is are the vaccines going to protect you from a severe illness, from a bad outcome? Yes and yes. That's the, that's the concept of them. I got to leave it there. Next week, we'll talk about the Dolphins' five-game winning streak. It's at four right now, but I promise he'll give you time on that. I know you're dying to speak about it.
1: Well, if you promise, then I'm going to go online and make a bet at oh. dog, Greg. Stay healthy.
0: Thank you very much. Dr. Eric Hamm. Uh, Dr. Spinnerus Murthy. It's not any easier for you to say, stop making fun of me in your car. Um, we'll be on the show uh, in the seven o'clock hour as well. A uh, immunologist. From British uh, Columbia. Shiva Siddiqui joins me right now. What's going on in, uh, in your world this morning? Good morning.
2: Good morning. And it's pronounced Srinivas Murthy.
0: Well, that's not, but is it?
2: Dr. Srinivas Murthy. Yes. What did that's, I say? I,
0: I, not that. <laughs> I was reasonably close. Wouldn't you grade it about, Is about a B plus. I'm, you no, know, I, I think no. B plus is a good standard for pronunciation, no. pronouncing names, no, pronunciating we'll names. We'll, we'll work on, on it after it. the show. But that is too late. He's already been on. We That's can't cancel okay. him. Are it's you trying to cancel to him? It's for you know
2: for the future. It's a common name, so it's good for you it's to It's
0: not a common. Let's go. Co- come on. No, no, no. Frank is a common name. No. Oh, come on. Jason <laughs> is a common name. Oh, my goodness. Greg <laughs> used to be a common name. I'm sure. trying to bring it back.
2: Maybe in the Srinivas suburbs. Srinivas of-
0: is not a common name. Yes, it is. Oh, n- this is what? Not in Ontario. It's not. He's the first Srinivas I've ever met. No, this is a common Sri Lankan name. But we don't live in Sri Lanka. What are you doing? Oh, my goodness. We li- I, it's n- I'm not that used, used to the enunciation of it.
2: Let me take you to parts of Scarborough <laughs> where people are going to try to pronounce your name I- and say, what kind <laughs> of name is this? <laughs> <laughs> let's try that so maybe not in the suburbs of london as you were growing up and as you call it your all-white classroom oh my
0: god but I'm- in
2: certain parts of this country this is a very common name in canada believe it or not
0: you know what names i struggle with are the uh, are the greek names i had to do a basketball game once between uh canada and greece uh when they came to london in 1994 and the greek and Ted, and Ted was like the easiest name. He wasn't on that team, but that was the easiest name out of all the players. And basketball is that sport where they're <laughs> passing the ball so quickly, here, there, everywhere. Like, it, it, it was very, very difficult to do and uh, and tough to get. So, you know... It's Serenivus Murphy. I just did oh, it.
2: There you go. You got it. Well, I, that's what I think. That's what I said out of the That's gate. Not what you said. You like choked on it halfway through. That's the first just time spittle
0: in it. the mouth. That's not misunderstanding what the where the consonants go. <laughs> Although you know, a vowel, a vowel here and there is not the worst thing on the planet. You know, and, and your parents your ca- gave you a very understandable two syllable name with the, with with an e and an a, and that helps the, helps bridge the gap in pronunciation. It does. I
2: think that's. It depends on where you live and what <laughs> what your idea of a Canadian name is.
0: I bet you if I go to baby name wizard, Serenovus is not very common. Have you ever gone to baby name wizard?
2: I have never. No.
0: (laughs) I know that sounds like a terrible that sounds like a terrible YTV television show. It's not. It would be, but it's not.
2: I went online for all of my kids' names. Don't we all? Don't we all go online and I, I think the moms do. The mom the mom groups do. Do you want to guess? Or they it? they put it out there. They say, "Hey, what should I name my baby?" <laughs> <laughs> and then they get they wake up the next day. And there are five thousand suggestions.
0: Do you want to guess at any of the ten most popular female names in uh, America? Do you want to guess at any of the ten right now, Loretta? You can um, do this too. The
2: last time I checked, I think Olivia was like top no, five. No. Oh really? Well, Let's
0: find one. Keep alternating until one of you get one of the ten. Mm, Come I'm on, one see. of them is really easy. Samantha. No. Sheba. Jennifer. No, that's old. Nobody nobody's named Jen. Every Jennifer on yeah, the planet right. over like 32 years old. Was a
2: Jennifer there were Elizabeth. Jennifer's and
0: Heathers and Andrea's, and I went to school with all of them. I didn't date all of them. I just said Don't I went to school Elizabeth. with all
2: of them. And Elizabeth.
0: El- yeah, yeah, yeah. Back then. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you guys are still you're still lacking here. Caitlin. No.
2: Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of Caitlin's.
0: Okay, but they were born in the in the late eighties, probably. True, early nineties. Yeah. So we need Madison. now names. No. Madison. No, I would have said that. I don't have that here though. Keep going.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Loretta, Sophie. Sophie.
0: <laughs> Sophia is third. Sophia? I was guessing. The- okay? I guess Sophie is a uh, derivation of that. Um, do you want me to give you the top 5? You yes. tapped out on See, it's yeah. hard to speak at this hour as I just proved uh, 9 minutes ago. It's hard to It's hard to form words.
2: No, I can pronunciate. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> Emma is number 1. Emma. Ava. That's a bit of a surprise yes. to me. Do you, really? No,
2: I know a million Ava's that are like wow. yeah, in elementary school.
0: Okay. Uh Sophia's three. Isabella is four. Mm-hmm. I don't
2: That's a shocker to me.
0: I think one that stood the test of time, Charlotte at five.
2: Oh, I love that. I, I thought am- a lot about That's Charlotte adorable. for a
0: girl. We thought about uh we thought about Charlotte. Um Amelia at six, mm-hmm. Mia at seven, Mia's mm-hmm. popular now. Yes. I don't know about this one. I like this one a lot, and I love last names as first names. Harper. I like that for a girl's first name. A t- Harper oh. Brady?
2: Yes. Right. Harper is uh, David Beckham's daughter's name.
0: Yeah. Is, is it? Yes.
2: Yeah. Harper Beckham.
0: Oh, I did not know that. I know Brooklyn, but that's about it. Uh, that's about it. Uh, did you ever see the interview with Ali G and Brooklyn, excuse me, and David Beckham and oh, Victoria no. Beckham? Stop.
2: Stop. Have you seen yes. it, though? Yes. What are you about to say? Yes, I've seen it.
0: <laughs> Where he's like... <laughs> She's like, is, is your little boy uh, forming complete sentences now? And then he's like, and she's like, yeah, he's, t- he's you know, he's, he's starting to. And then he's like, and what about Brooklyn? Meaning Beckham's the little boy <laughs> oh, unable oh. to form sentences.
2: I thought you were going to say something else. He also Yeah, asked- I know.
0: There was a lot. <laughs> well, first of the chant that uh, that um, involves her at uh, Man United road matches, which where we won't go. Evelyn- oh, I don't know that one. Oh, well, Evelyn's at nine. Abigail's at ten. And then oh, the I'm boys. Some of these. The boys go Liam, Noah, Oliver, William, pfft, Elijah, James, Benjamin, Lucas, Mason, Ethan. Ethan's a big name that's been around for like 20 years, right? Everybody knows an Ethan.
4: Liam doesn't surprise me, that's number one, though. It
3: does for yes. America.
0: Because it's a very I feel like that's a very uh English name. I think it is anyway. Anyway, the best part on Baby Name Wizard is you can search your own name on there and see. Uh, where it's uh, faded in popularity and where it's uh, picked back up again um, so and girls names are a little like Serenity's 78 uh, there's 3,405 Serenities born Serenity. in one year in 2019 that seems like a lot
2: 2019 Serenity oh man, I don't know about that
0: Genesis is 57 not the <laughs> no. band a girl named <laughs> Genesis what are we doing what is that uh, 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 Paisley how about Paisley for a girl's name
2: maybe somebody was a Prince fan i named my dog paisley
0: okay that's interesting yeah but that won't that how do you think that'll land for someone who just named their daughter that oh man don't tell them that
2: i hope that they love dogs <laughs> hey do you know saying. how many dogs i know named sheba
0: a Sheba's lot a probably very, yeah. um,
2: oh tons and my best friend growing up had a, her neighbor had a dog named sheba so i'd go over all the time and i'd just be hearing Sheba. And I'd, I'd go running. Mm. <laughs> like, well, who's calling me? Yeah, that's a very common dog name, Sheba.
0: Um, s- Something maybe we can later get to in the morning, and uh, we, we were going to talk about it until I mangled um Dr. Srinivas Murphy's name. Damn it. I can't even, I want to say Murphy like Eddie Murphy, and I can't it properly. I hope he mangled your name. I hope he mangled <laughs> your name. Brad Gragley or something like that? Go get a Canadian name. Thanks for listening to the Toronto Today podcast. We appreciate it. Back with a live show tomorrow for the final day of November. On November the 30th, We hope you can join us between 5.30 and 9 on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Thank you again for listening.